when Michelin-starred chef Elena Regan decided to leave behind the buzzing Chicago culinary scene for a quieter life, she found solace in the woods of the Upper Peninsula. One of the biggest things was to get out of the city restaurant grind, and that was in connectivity to just thinking about sustainability, not only like for the environment around me, but also for our own personal lives. In her 2019 memoir, Burn the Place, Elena Regan wrote about the years she spent in the Windy City, founding well-reviewed restaurants like Elizabeth and Kitsune, and earning Michelin stars. She also shared moments of searing beauty from her rural childhood, her struggles with addiction, and so much more. Regan's latest book is called Fieldwork, a forager's memoir, and it brings the story forward into Regan's life in the UP at the Milkweed Inn, which she founded with her wife Anna in 2019 in Nama Township. Today, Elena Regan talks with us about foraging, sustainability, and her new memoir. This is Stateside. I'm April Bear. Chef Regan, welcome to Stateside. Thank you. There was so much attention that sort of exploded into your life when Burn the Place, uh, you know, did so well. What did you find that you enjoyed about the writing process? Well, I I love everything about the writing process. I, I think of a lot, it in a, a lot of the same way as I do um, with cooking. It kind of plays into like that creative side of my brain and allows me to express myself in ways that I probably wouldn't otherwise. So I'm actually a pretty quiet person. So, um, you know, there would never be a time just having a regular conversation with somebody where probably these stories would ever come out. Um, but they, they do when I'm sitting down and writing them out. Folks who did read Burn the Place uh, may find that there's a thread running through it. We we get a few more a few more stories and through lines from your early life growing up in Indiana. Is there a short answer for which kinds of stories were a good fit for the first book, and what kinds of experiences you wanted to talk about now that inform your your forager life today? Yeah, I think with Burn the Place, there was certainly the through line of food. Um, so I feel like almost no matter what, it kept coming back to that. And there was other things that spun around that. Um, and then with this book, I was thinking about it in terms of, at least symbolically of foraging. So it's, it's to be a narrative on foraging. That's how my publisher presented it to me. Like, how about you do a foraging book? And I know for me, it wasn't going to be a book of essays of how to go find this or that thing. So, you know, it was going to be very narrative driven. And in a sense, um, it was going to be like forging rather than telling somebody or teaching somebody through it how to forge. So as I was writing it, I was thinking about like the interconnectivity of the forest trees, the family tree. Um, and how just all of those sort of things unfolded um, and, and came through the writing. I just went a lot with intuition. And most of it, almost the whole time I was writing it, I was at Milkweed outside. Or, or even if I was back in Chicago, I was still writing outside, even in the dead of winter. That's just kind of how it happened for me. So I 
was like placing myself constantly in, you know, the elements. There's a part of the new book right in the first chapter that gives people a little bit of a sense of your headspace for some of what's to follow. Do you mind reading for us? Of course. Um, This is from chapter one, when I fall asleep. A big storm was coming. I stood at the bedroom window while getting settled for bed, and beyond the window I saw the shadows of trees, the ones left behind, cast by the moonlight on the forest floor. I felt tired and scared. I got into bed quickly as I could, pulling the covers up to my chin. I was afraid because I knew the big storm was coming. The lightning and thunder began. I imagined trees splitting and fires sparking. The approaching storm reminded me of all the things Dad had said about big storms. I tried hard not to think of those things. For many years, most of my life, in fact, and still to this day, in the darker daylight, I looked out windows, up to the sky, under the water, or into the forest. I looked somewhere beyond where I was, waiting for the mothership to come and take me back home, but she never came. I turned to other things instead. When you thought enough about all the things you could eat in the wild, and you remembered all their uses and ways to prepare them, things weren't so empty. Sometimes at night, lying in bed, if you thought of all of them, it could help you fall asleep. Elena, I guess that's a nice introduction to the fact that you're not a big sleeper <laughs> and the fact that you, um, you, spend, you spend some time uh, staying up late and thinking about things and stuff. Folks may or may not know that you gave up your, your businesses in Chicago and that you and your wife are on site at the Milkweed full time. It's a big change, but it sounds like from the book that you had been thinking about this for quite a while. Can you tell us a little bit about the decision-making process that brought you to Michigan full-time? One of the biggest things was to get out of the city restaurant grind, and that was in connectivity to just thinking about sustainability, not only like for the environment around me, but also for our own personal lives. Like how could I continue to work as much as I was working, but also be in a place and doing it with some sort of balance with, you know, I guess myself mentally, physically, but also in connection with nature too. So, and this is going to sound like silly, but just the amount of water that we use and electricity on a daily basis at the restaurant is astonishing. I'm talking like probably thousands of gallons of water, you know, to, to, to complete one restaurant in one city, the dishes that need to be washed, the, uh, just all the tasks that need to be done. So for me, um, you know, I'm, I don't know, that's just where my head goes. It keeps me up at night thinking about natural resources. Yeah. So I'm like, for years been thinking, how can I still do what I do, but do it just a little bit more in harmony with, you know, the natural world? And how can I make less of a footprint? Like, of course, there's green restaurants everywhere. And, you know, people are always striving to be as local as possible. But that was just such a, a long time goal for me. Like, you know, so cooking for 10 people a, a weekend is much different than cooking for 150 a week. 
so I get to be out there and forage and grow my own things and use, like I said, nearly everything local. Um, so I, well, I can't say that I necessarily sleep better at night, but there's a part of me <laughs> that, you know, isn't having to always think of um, some of those things that really weighed on me at the restaurants. What was it like to retool your cooking and retool your process for that much smaller table and, and just a much different part of the world? Well, it was um, not that different than how I started because when I started exploring like being a chef and going into having my own business and eventually my own restaurant, I was cooking for just a small amount of people. So that part of the mindset was was good. Like I had that, I was familiar with just cooking for, you know, a, a few people a weekend. Um, and the, like you said, yeah, I, I'm definitely not um, uh, unfamiliar with being in a rural area because that was, I grew up in an area that was somewhat rural. The Upper Peninsula, though, is an entirely different forest, though, at least um, where we're at there, than what I'm used to in the, I guess you could call it the Lower Midwest. So um, there was, I, I, I've been doing a lot of learning as I've been there. I mean, of course, there are tons of berries and uh, wild greens and things that I've already been familiar with, but um, there was a whole bunch of new mushrooms to learn and mm -hmm. some that I was very used to that I've had trouble finding. So yeah, it's just, um, it's the landscape is very different, but I mean, still incredibly rewarding. And I think that that's the, that's the biggest draw for me. It was, you know, I wanted to be in the woods and this was like one of the best places to do it. When we come back, Elena Regan will talk more about foraging for wild edibles and creating a destination like no other in the UP. Be right back. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Support for the stateside podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. Elena, there are some really ravishing passages in the book where you talk about the kinds of things you're making and serving these days. And, you know, there are family-style meals with lamb and smoked trout and all kinds of things from the garden that you and Anna have developed. Um, truck stop cherries <laughs> that sometimes finish the tops of pastries. And, I mean, there are, there are nods in there to your culinary background, um, you know, homemade, homemade pickles. But it's just been such, it's been such a feast to realize what is possible within a UP forest as it is right now. Um, what are some favorite finds as you've been going through the learning process that have really 
have been fun to work with? Well, we have a lot of nettle, which I absolutely love to use. Um, trout lilies, which come up in the spring, just as um, ramps are around as well. But, you know, I think that's the trout lilies are something that not everybody thinks of to forage because everybody's thinking about ramps, but they have so many um, uses and they're, they taste like just really lovely have like a lovely cucumber flavor this little campion flowers oh i i love um choke cherries well that 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 happens in the um summer but we just have so many choke cherries everywhere and i i they have a big seed in them but i like to cook them down and press them through a sieve to sort of extract all the pulp and it has this really lovely, like floral, almost vanilla-like flavor. So that's been something that I uh, use in in many different ways. I make paste out of them, vinegars out of them, powders, so many things. And um, well, then of course the inn is named milkweed, and so. Again, I'm very conscious about harvesting that and leaving plenty for the monarchs, but a few little pods here and there, some of the flowers are just so delicious. I like to get the pods when they're really young and fry them. And it's kind of like, a, a, almost like a fried okra, but it has like the seeds inside that are attached to the silk sort of melt. And um, it has a little bit of a funkiness to it, like a cheese. So they're, yeah, they're like a fried okra or a fried jalapeno popper without the spice. But I, I'm not sure. I could talk about these things forever. I can't remember what your question <laughs> That's was. Okay. I just I was I was kind of wondering like how does the learning process work when you're in a new place like that? Are you I mean, do you just find yourself grabbing onto any any botanical guides to uh, you know, to Michigan, you know, to pine forests that you can, or are you relying on indigenous foodways at all? Or like, how are you figuring out the things that you're figuring out? All, all of those things. I have like um, books about like edible medicinal plants of the upper Midwest, mushroom books for the upper Midwest or the upper peninsula, um, indigenous foodways guides or, you know, uh, books by um people who have been up there in in the area like just and any kind of materials that I can get my my hands on and so what happens to me and how I've always taught myself well I, I learned foraging some basic mushrooms and nuts and berries when I was little with my father but how I've expanded my my knowledge around it since I've been a chef has been um, being out in the woods, walking through them, paying attention to what I'm seeing, then reading through my books, and then I'll see that plant. And after so many times, you know, it's like a memorization game where you flip over the cards and you have to remember where they are. It's the same kind of thing that's working in your brain, like, oh, I've seen that. And then going back to my guide and seeing that and, you know, putting the, the pieces together that way. So, um and, and then I, I also lead foraging tours at Milkweed where people come. I teach them my bread, pasta, fermentations, 
and we go foraging and we, we collect things and everybody's very excited to pick every mushroom they have. And I'm not a mycologist. I do not know every mushroom and I'm still learning. So what we do is I'm like, well, I don't think we can eat that, but let's grab it. Let's take it back. Let's identify it and at least learn about it. We'll do spore prints, things like that. So yeah, I'm just kind of always teaching myself as well. Yeah. I don't want to suggest that anything about high-end restaurants in cities is economically easy, but the model that you have chosen with Milkweed in is really, I mean, there, there are not a lot of people doing this work. What are you finding out about what's going to have to happen to make this place that you've built work over the long haul? Um, that's a really good question. I mean, it is still extremely exhausting, even though we are only hosting 10 people a weekend as opposed to 150 a week at, at the restaurant. But it, and even then, that was a that in Chicago, that's a small restaurant, you know, having maybe 25 guests a night. So but anyways, um, working um, there's so much that we have to do from preparing the rooms and cleaning and preparing all the food and foraging and gardening and, um, you know, essentially tending the land that we're on. Um, but um, so for it to keep working, I mean, I don't know, I guess we'll just keep doing it as long as people want to come and, and people still want to come and um, well, I guess better way to put it is we'll just keep doing it till our bodies say absolutely not. So <laughs> I don't know, maybe I got like five or 10 more years at this, at this, um, you know, level of how we're doing it. So, well, I guess we'll see, but at least right now for me, it feels uh, a lot more mentally, uh, sustainable, Maybe not so much physically, but definitely mentally. Elena Regan's latest book is called Fieldwork, a forager's memoir. She's going to read at Literati Bookstore in Ann Arbor on February 3rd. Thank you for all your writing and for taking some time out to talk to us about the book. Yeah, of course. Hopefully we'll see you at Milkweed. And that's the Stateside Podcast for today. I'm April Bear. You can find more episodes of the full Stateside show at our website when you're ready for more listens with interesting Michigan people. Find us at michiganradio.org. Today's podcast was produced by Mercedes Mejia. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Kapansag, and April Van Buren. Our podcast editor is Rachel Ishikawa. Our executive producer is Laura Weber-Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you so much for listening. It's been great to have you with us all this week. We'll see you Monday. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.